It is an honor and a privilege to preach, to share the word of God with you today. We will be continuing in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. We read our Bible, so go ahead and turn to Luke 8, verses 40 through 56. The sermon is titled, What Do You Believe? What do you believe? I will start at Luke 8:40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said to her, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Saints, there will be times when keeping the faith will be hard. There will be times where you will want to give up, throw in the towel, and stop believing that God can and will help you. And maybe I'm talking to somebody already. Maybe A, you're at this point right now. Or B, maybe you've experienced it before. C, maybe you will go through it soon. Or maybe you're like many of us in here today. D, all of the above. (laughs) You done been through it. You're going through it. (laughs) And you probably will continue to go through it. Again and again and again. (laughs) But the truth remains the same. There are times in the Christian walk when believing and trusting in God's help will be hard. It will seem impossible to have faith in these moments. Well, today's text brings us to two situations that would fall in this category. My hope is that we can learn a lesson or two on how we should respond when believing in God's help is difficult. Now, we have three things to deal with today. In verses 40 through 42, we have the request. A man makes a request of Jesus, the request. In verses 43 through 48, we have the recess, the break that Jesus takes in between it all, the recess. Finally, in verses 49 through 56, we have the response. 
Jesus responds to the man's request, the response for all of you note takers out there. Now, there's a lot to unpack, but let us pray before going forward. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you. You know all things. You know what's going on in our life. You know what we've been through and you know what we're going to go through. So I ask that you would use this message, Lord, to build up the saints today, to edify us, to encourage us, to lift us up today. And maybe we can do the same for someone else. May the saints be edified and may your name be glorified above all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Now, let us begin with the request. Verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. You might ask yourself, what's going on? Why is there a crowd welcoming Jesus? What are they waiting for? Well, from their point of view, Jesus has been teaching deep things, doing great things. And everywhere he goes, crowds are witnessing wonderful things everywhere Jesus goes. Jesus is drawing crowds. He's attracting enemies, too. He's gaining followers, support and notoriety. Now, from our point of view, we've been going through the gospel of Luke. And so if you just look at the chapters and the verses that we've looked at before this, you'll see that we would probably be waiting and welcoming him too. Because Jesus has brought men and women into his ministry. He's been speaking parables. He's been defining those who are truly in the family of God. He's calmed a raging storm. He's healed a man possessed by a legion of demons. A legion. I would be in that crowd waiting for him too. Please, Jesus, we need you over here. <laughs> we would be begging him to come back. Now, speaking of begging, last week's text described Jesus casting many demons out of a man that was driven crazy and deranged, and the demons begged Jesus, didn't they? Please don't send us to the abyss. The people of the town saw what Jesus had done and wanted nothing to do with him. And they begged him too. They begged him to leave immediately. The man delivered from the demons, well, he begged Jesus to become one of his disciples. Today we see a crowd welcoming his return. A man will plead and beg with Jesus to come with him. And then a woman will beg Jesus to heal her. You see, the longer you walk in this Christian faith, you'll realize that there really is no neutral ground with Jesus. You might say Jesus is a good teacher. He's a wonderful teacher. But what happens whenever he starts digging? What happens whenever he tells you that your lifestyle needs to change? What happens whenever he says something in one of his sermons and you become the guilty one? What happens whenever he says something that's just too much? Well, there's no neutrality at that point, is there? There are only those who beg to be close to him and those who beg him to be far away from him. What happens next? Verse 41. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Now imagine that. A highly esteemed man. A synagogue ruler. Let's distinguish that from, uh, he's not a synagogue attendant. He's a synagogue ruler. You see, the synagogue rulers arrange the services uh, and they put affairs in order. And then the synagogue attendant actually did the work. This was a synagogue ruler. The ruler was used to overseeing everything, being on top of everything. Now we see that everything has fallen on top of this ruler. 
he literally falls at the feet of Jesus, begs, pleads. Let us not forget that Jesus hasn't been on the greatest terms with the religious crowd. He's been calling them out. He's been exposing them of their hypocrisy. And you know religious people don't like when you call them out like this. Some of y'all, nah, I ain't going to go there. But y'all know, and I know, all of us know, religious folk don't like being called out. Amen? The synagogue ruler, he doesn't care about all of this. He doesn't even ask if Jesus himself has kept himself clean and pure. If he were to find out that Jesus had recently dealt with a man possessed by unclean spirits, that he was in a region infested with unclean Gentiles, unclean pigs, I don't think in this moment he would have even flinched. None of that mattered to him. All that matters right now is that his only child is dying. <laughs> That's when you realize what theology is actually important, isn't it? When you know the difference between what's essential and what's not. <laughs> his dying 12-year-old daughter is... And needs, she needs help. Now, his nonverbal language tells us that he's absolutely at his lowest point. All that matters is his only child. But Luke, Luke gives us the nonverbal, but Mark 5.23 gives us the verbal language of what was going on. The ruler said, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So now we got the nonverbal and we have the verbal of him pleading and begging with Jesus. You could imagine that tears were flowing down. He was heartbroken at the thought of losing his only child. There's something about crisis and emergencies and tragedies that make you not care about what others think about you. Amen? Amen? There's something about those tough times in life where you don't care what the status quo says. In that moment, all that really, really matters is that you need Jesus. And there's some people that in these moments, they don't like to come to Jesus, which is crazy. They say, well, I didn't come to Jesus when my life was good. So why would I come to him when my life is bad? I, I feel fake. I feel false. But it's in these moments, somebody who's a witness of this. It's in these moments when it's best to come to Jesus. Because sometimes God will keep on stripping away, keep on breaking you down, because you will not come to him. He has a way of drawing us in, doesn't he? Come to Jesus, desperate, broken, pitiful, pleading. It's sad that it takes pain like this many times for us to come to Jesus. Joel Beakey said, submission is when you bow in the midst of pain. I wish I had a witness here today. Submission is when you bow in the midst of pain. This man was fully submitted and at the mercy of the rabbi Jesus. I was tempted in part to connect this story with the miracle we saw with the Roman centurion. But I'll leave that to the imagination. The only connection I'll make is this. The centurion had great faith that made even Jesus marvel. Remember him? He didn't need Jesus to come to his sickly dying servant. Jesus only needed to say the word and the man would believe the healing was done. He had faith that marveled Jesus we see that this man, this synagogue ruler, begged Jesus to come to his daughter. There is clearly a faith issue that needs to be resolved. Amen? Sometimes we're way much more like 
this guy, then the Roman centurion. Sometimes we might have faith that marvels. We can believe that God can do anything, just say the word. But there's other times whenever we feel like Jairus, don't we? <laughs> we need Jesus to come. <laughs> we need him to come to us in these moments. Lord, if you just show yourself real in this moment. <laughs> I just need a sign. <laughs> but saints, let me ask you a question. What happens when you reach the end of yourself? How should you respond? When we have no more reason to hold on to pride, when we care less about our dignity, when we are just broken and desperate and begging Jesus. There's many scriptures that speak of seeking God in our time of trouble, but for the sake of time, let's focus on this one today. Jesus' response shows that he is pleased with the man that is seeking him, coming after him, pleading with him. Jesus shows he is pleased with this. I think the man knew about Jesus's willingness to help someone in this situation. I think the man's request speaks to the willingness he saw on Jesus's end. He knew that the best choice, the only wise choice for someone in his situation would be to come to Jesus. He had a serious problem that needed fixed, and he only knew one person that could fix the problem. The man in the midst of his trouble says, Jesus, I need you to come to me. Maybe we've said those words before. Maybe we need to say those words right now. And Jesus loves when we come to him like this. He even honors his request, which brings us to our first point today. Point number one, Christ desires that we seek after him for help. Amen. Amen. Let's continue in the text. The end of verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Well, here we have another person at the end of their selves. But she has another issue. She's at the end of her wealth as well. Luke, a, a physician himself, gives us the diagnosis. She had spent all her money and resources on seeking medical attention. No doctor. No medicine. No man. No one could help her. Mark tells us that she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Not only were the doctors not able to help, but this woman became worse under the care of the doctors. And sometimes that happens in our life, doesn't it? When we go to man and we trust in man, instead of going to God, and then man, man fails us every time. But we keep on going to man. <laughs> and we keep giving up our wealth and our time and our resources. Now you're broken. Now you're worse than you were before. I could preach a whole sermon on that topic, couldn't we? Oh, my goodness. This woman was hemorrhaging blood for 12 long, excruciating years. Now, the men in this room can't relate like the women can. Amen? Let's just be honest. But we can sympathize. <laughs> for starters, being sick and tired is a major understatement of what this woman was going through. She's past the point of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Losing blood from your body, ladies, even for a week, can be exhausting. On average, losing just two to four blood tablespoons of blood causes many problems. Blood clots, cramping in the stomach and lower back, moodiness, 
Easily triggered fits of frustration toward anyone and everyone that you come in contact with. Men, we suffer too. We suffer differently though. We're usually on the receiving end of these symptoms. I think the Bible calls that long suffering, amen? <laughs> Stress, illness, body weight changes, eating disorders, nausea, vomiting, headaches, so much more. If this blood, just two to four table, uh, tablespoons of blood, if this blood loss continues longer than a week, you can suffer through more side effects like iron deficiency, extreme fatigue, severe bodily pain that can cripple you for days, dizziness, disorientation, and many more problems. This woman has been suffering like this for 12 long, excruciating years. This woman is desperate for help. She's now unclean because of her disorder, which means that she can't even be around people. Some of y'all know what it's, not, what it's like to not be around people. We just went through the pandemic. Some of us, we, we were still around people, but. <laughs> know what that does to the mind though, when you remove yourself from people. She's married with children. She can't even be around her own family. Mm. She can't go in her house and sit down on the chair because she's bleeding. She has to be away from everyone. She's definitely not supposed to be in this public setting. <laughs> That's what we do know. <laughs> we don't know if she has a family, if she's married, but she ain't supposed to be in this public setting. Hmm. The synagogue ruler has reached a point where he stopped caring for his pride and his dignity. This woman has reached that point a long time ago. She's past that point. She's at the point of not caring about public decency and rituals and laws. When life happens, you find out what theology is important. But saints, that's what happens when you reach this point. Right? When you come to the end of yourself, yes. your wealth, your resources, your options, your wisdom, man's wisdom. What should you do when you've given all your trust to man and he's failed you every single time you do what this woman does? Go find Jesus. That's what she does. Verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, <laughs> immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Now, here's a little background information. Mark's gospel tells us that she had heard the reports about Jesus' healing power. So somehow, some way, the good news was getting around. She heard the good news of Jesus. And then she said to herself these words, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Gives you a little bit about what's going on in her mind, doesn't it? Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, weaker and weaker had she become and her purse had become lighter and lighter. Some of y'all know what that's like. She hears of Jesus of Nazareth, a man sent of God who is healing sick folk of all sorts. She hears attentively. She puts the stories together of what she hears. She believes them. And they have the likeness of the truth of God about them. It sounds like God. So... After hearing the good report, we could assume she started to seek Jesus immediately. Yeah. 
praying only to touch his garment and be healed. Touching the garment during this time period, the, touching the tassels of a rabbi was more superstitious than anything. But it was a common thing to do. They had faith in these things. She had faith in something different than the rest of Because remember, she had heard the reports of Jesus. She had faith in Jesus' power, not the power of the tassels or the, the robe that he was wearing. She was no longer seeking help from anything in this world. She was no longer seeking help from man and his wisdom. But she was looking to who? She was looking to Jesus for help. Maybe she thought of Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Well, Jesus responds to the woman's reaction. The woman's actions, verse 45. Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. Peter usually misses the point of what's going on, doesn't he? <laughs> Jesus says, who was it that touched me? And Peter looked at only the physical. He saw only the physical crowd and he's, everybody's pressing in on us. Jesus, why are you asking a question like this? <laughs> Jesus says, no, no, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. This was a different kind of touch. <sighs> Maybe... Maybe that's why Peter was always with Jesus when, when, when he went places. Maybe Jesus made sure to keep Peter close to him. Because Peter was so used to looking at things just in a simple way. Jesus was saying, no, this is deeper. Sometimes you need to walk with somebody a little bit closer so that they understand what's going on. Sometimes you need to teach someone a little bit more than others. Amen? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. We all know someone like this. Maybe it's us. <laughs> Jesus knows who touched him, but he wants them to confess it. There's something about a public confession of faith that makes us so much more certain of what we claim to believe, isn't there? There's something that reinforces our belief when we publicly affirm it. Amen? That's why if you get baptized... When you get baptized, if you did it as an adult, especially, you probably don't remember it if you got baptized as a child or a baby. But if, you've, if you're like me, you got baptized as an adult, you'll never forget that day. Because, again, there's something about a public confession of faith that makes it so much more real. Amen? Maybe you've had to publicly confess Jesus on the job. Maybe you've had to publicly confess him in front of your family members and friends or at school. There's something about it. Pastor Chuck Smith said of the woman's actions, the woman's hand had touched the robe of Jesus, but the woman's faith had touched the heart of Jesus. Jesus knew that someone had touched him. Jesus doesn't need the woman to confess it. He already knows who did it, doesn't he? <laughs> you think anything went under his radar? He knows. This woman knows that he knows. And sometimes when you're guilty, you'll stay quiet, won't you? <laughs> Some of the parents know what I'm talking about, too. When you ask the children, who did this? And there's one quiet child <laughs> and usually that the child is the most talkative one but they're quiet right now aren't they her silence spoke louder than words could he wants the woman to confess what she's done this woman probably be she probably looks to Jesus with tears in her eyes and why the tears you say because 
what she has prayed for for so many years has just gotten answered. Do you know what it's like to pray for something? For so many years. Maybe you've gone other routes. Maybe you tried other things and then you go to Jesus. And like this woman, you've seen him immediately respond to your prayer. I know that this woman had tears in her eyes. I, could, I just know it. Being delivered from something, a prayer being answered after suffering for so many years will make you rejoice like you never have before. That's why I know we're all going to be rejoicing when we go to heaven. <laughs> because we done been praying. We done been praying for perfect bodies. <laughs> better bodies, at least. At least better bodies, right? Better minds. Better spirits. Maybe we've been praying that God would remove a sin from our lives, a desire to want to sin. And we just keep on praying over and over, and we've been suffering for years. Oh, we look forward to that day, don't we? The silence ends. The woman responds to Jesus in verse 47. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. The woman realized that she could not hide her situation from Jesus any longer. She might have thought, I'll sneak over and touch him lightly while the crowd is pressing against him. He won't notice me with all these people here demanding his attention. And that's sometimes how we feel, don't we? There's many more important things going on in the world. I'll sneak a little prayer in. Maybe God will hear me this time. There's no way that he can see my issue, though, right? There's times when we just say that. We, there's no way that God knows what's going on or cares about my, about, about my struggles right now in this moment. But I'm almost sure that Jesus was probably looking right at her when he asked, who touched me? Looking right at her. Like Hagar in the wilderness, she saw Jesus as El Roy, the God who sees me. The God who sees me. In verse 48, Jesus makes a major statement. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now this is speaking of more than just the basic concept of faith. Everyone has faith to a certain degree. You're sitting in the chairs having faith that they will hold you up, right? You got dressed this morning. You came to church. You came to this location knowing that you'll have church. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you have faith that when you leave here today, and you can just list whatever it is that you think is going to happen today. You have faith. Everyone has faith. Basic faith. But this is more than basic faith. The real question is this. What do you have faith in? <laughs> what do you believe? For a long time, this woman had faith. She had faith in the doctors. She had faith in, in, in everyone that was supposed to be helping her. But she finally learned to put her faith in the right place. Her faith was in Christ alone. And her faith being in Christ alone is what healed her. Richard Kent Hughes, one of my favorite pastors, he said this, Look at the way Christ was gentle towards her. This is the only woman he ever called daughter in the whole Bible. Search for it. You won't find it elsewhere. 
Look at how beautiful our Lord is. By calling her forth, he announced her healing to the whole world. She was no longer unclean. She could visit others' homes, the synagogue, and even the temple. Imagine how free she felt. This desperate woman represents humanity, all of us. We are ill. We have spent our money for things that do not work. But when Christ comes to us, we need him. We need to touch him by faith. Amen? Amen. We must not fear that he won't respond. We must not fear that we are too ignorant or too insignificant. We must not fear that maybe we're being too selfish in the moment. We should only fear one thing, and that is letting Christ pass us by when we are in need. Notice that this woman is a fully grown adult suffering for 12 years. And as she is healed, Jesus addresses her as daughter. She is certainly a daughter of God, which is evidenced by her great faith. But at this point, you might be wondering, and I think Jairus was wondering, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> great that this daughter got healed. Good for her. What about my daughter? <laughs> I think we forgot about Jairus, didn't we? <laughs> Jesus is really testing his patience, ain't he? Jesus knew that Jairus had his daughter in his mind. But there was something else that needed to be handled first. God in his sovereignty stopped one thing from happening, caused another thing to happen in order for someone to have faith that something else could happen. Maybe there's been things in your life that God has stopped. Put it on pause. Because you needed to see something else happen in someone else's life in order for you to believe that God can do that in your life. I don't know if y'all see it in the text. It's there. <laughs> it's there. Stop one thing in order to show something else, in order for something. He's testing Jairus' patience. And we'll see how he tests his faith a little bit, too. But now we see that one daughter needed to be healed before the other. This needed to take place before, uh, this right here needed to take place before healing Jairus' daughter. The disciples in Jairus needed to see the lesser miracle before seeing the greater miracle. Amen? Amen. Maybe someone else here needed to see that as well. Maybe you needed to see this in the text in order for you to trust and believe that God can do something great in your life, right. something that you've been praying for. The woman's actions remind me of Jacob when she fought God, when he fought with God. In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with God all night long. And when morning came, God gave the slightest touch to Jacob's hip. It's a little hip touch. <laughs> it was then that Jacob was in trouble, wasn't he? <laughs> His hip was out of place and he needed serious help. He then grabbed hold of God and refused to let go, pleading for mercy. God could have destroyed him in a second. We saw what just one little, little touch to the hip did. <laughs> he could have destroyed him in a second, but Jacob was persistent in his desperation. He needed God to heal him. Like Jacob, this woman was saying, Jesus, I need a touch of healing. I'm grabbing hold and I refuse to let go. Saints, Christ loves when we come to him, seeking for him for help drawing near and refusing to let go of him. And we see that even when all else fails us, Jesus is able to save us from 
our trouble. Amen? Amen. This brings us to our second point. Christ desires that we grab a hold of him for help. Now, the request has been made. The recess is over. Now time for the response. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. It's at this point where most of us would expect Jairus to give up hope. Why? Because if we're being honest, it is usually at this point when we hear news like this that we give up hope. The daughter is dead. The people have declared it. The doctors have confirmed it. There is no more hope left, is there? Remember how Jesus responds to situations like this. When there's no hope, when there's no chance left. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Amen? Jesus realizes that Jairus needed a word of encouragement. Let us not forget that. Jesus will give you an encouragement when you need it. Verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him. On hearing this, answered him. Do not fear. Only believe. And she will be made well. I think sometimes we think of faith as only something that we must believe internally. If we believe it on the inside, that's all that matters. But saints, faith matters on the outside, doesn't it? It's the internal as well as the external that we should show our faith. What we believe is found in our speech, isn't it? What we believe is displayed in our behavior. There's an activity that is shown on our end that expresses our faith. We say what we believe and we do according to what we believe. You sat down in those chairs because you believed. Amen? Amen. If I say I trust my wife, then that means that I'll behave like it, right? But if I act as if I don't trust her, what is that saying? If I act as if I don't trust her, then that shows that I really don't believe her. I don't have faith in it. Our activities, or lack thereof, shows what we believe in. I emphasize. Our activity, or lack thereof, (laughs) shows what we believe in. Jesus is saying it clearly. Jairus must have faith that is active. If he wants Jesus to heal his daughter... If he believes Jesus can do it, then he must act like it. He's got to take this walk with Jesus, believing that Jesus is going to heal his daughter. He must walk in faith. And he must walk without fear. Sometimes we think we're walking in faith, but we're really walking in faith mixed with fear. Jesus is saying, do not have fear. Jairus, if Jesus did it for the one daughter, then he can do it for your daughter. But you must believe. Now look at the way Jesus moves to action. Verses 51 through 53. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Knowing that she was dead. In verse 51. Jesus controls who would be in the room, only those who would have the faith to believe it. She is not dead. She's only sleeping. She can still rise if Jesus commands it. In verse 52, you can hear the uncontrollable commotion outside. A community of people mourning the girl's death. 
There were professional mourners there, people who would be paid to come to the funeral and act real extra. They got paid more. They got tipped more if they were louder than the rest. This is a real thing that happens, even to this day. Professional mourners. They were loud. Imagine how hard it would have been to have faith in this moment if you're in the house and you hear all that going on. In verse 53, the people are controlled by the evil in their hearts. They laugh and they mock Jesus. This shows, this shows what kind of people that Jesus is dealing with, doesn't it? But have no fear, Jairus. God is in control. Despite the mockers' unbelief, Jesus responds to Jairus' faith in verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Hmm. At the sound of Jesus' command, the girl rises. Twelve years ago, remember, this daughter was born. And what else happened twelve years ago? Another daughter began to die. She was suffering. Twelve years later, this little girl was almost taken from her parents. Twelve years later, the other daughter was still suffering, wasn't she? Notice that both daughters were brought back to life by none other than Christ himself. Who was the one that was able to make that happen? Only Jesus. Christ alone. None of this would have happened, would have taken place if Jesus wasn't sought for help. What happens when you reach the end of yourself? Your wealth. Your health. No chance, no hope, no man, no doctor can help. Well, you respond like Peter did when Jesus saw great crowds leaving him, walking away because they gave up on him. John 6, Jesus looked to his disciples and said, do you want to go away as well? But Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. What else is there to do in this moment, in this situation? I can almost hear Jesus speaking to someone who has reached the end of themselves. Child, son, daughter, believe and I will do it. He loves when we reach the point, this point in our faith because it is then that he proves himself worthy of our praise. Point number three, Christ desires that we wholeheartedly trust him for help. So what is the key to having faith in difficult times? When all hope seems lost, you have to have faith. Stubborn, persistent, help-beseeching, Bible-believing, Christ-beholding faith. That's what Jairus had to do. That's what the bleeding woman had to do. Believe even when it hurts. Believe even when you are hurting. Saints, ask yourself today, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus wants to help you? That he wants to save you? That there's a willingness on his end? Do you struggle to believe this? Do you believe the words of Psalm 37? The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. What do you believe? Believe that Jesus wants to help you. Do you believe that Jesus 
can help you. <laughs> that he can save you. Maybe you struggle with this too. Do you believe the words of Psalm 34? When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. What do you believe? Child of God, what do you believe? Believe that Jesus can help you. Lastly, do you believe that Jesus will help you? <laughs> that he will save you? And maybe this is where we struggle the most. Maybe we don't struggle with Jesus wanting or Jesus being able to help us. Maybe we have doubt that Jesus will help us, that he will save us. Ask yourself, do you believe the words of Psalm 30? Oh, Lord, my God. I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Oh Lord, you have brought me up, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Hear, O oh Lord, and be merciful to me. O oh Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. <laughs> what do you believe? What do you believe? Believe that Jesus will help you and that he will save you from all of your troubles. He is our help now and forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for giving us faith, Lord, for giving us all that we need. You are all that we really need. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that you are not only willing to help us, you are not only able to help us, Lord, but you will surely help us. Help us to hold on to that. Help us to believe that you will be our trouble, that you will be our, our, our savior from our trouble now and forever.